And he took his brother and they went down to this area where Philadelphia was going to be started. And he took his brother and he said, brother, I'm going to give you all of this area. He said, I want you to be the one who is over all of this and who rules over this particular area. And so the city was named because it was a gift from one brother to another brother out of love. Now, this city is the youngest of all of the seven cities that we've looked at. Most of the other cities were founded either 300 or four or 500 years before the city of Philadelphia. But this city, it's interesting. Because unlike the other ones which were put there for being a military outpost or to be some sort of a political center or to be like a, a center of commerce and trade, this city wasn't built for any of those purposes. It wasn't even built to be a, a, a cultural center. No, actually, this city was built in order to be a mission. It was a mission that was given to Atticus. You see, this city was a border city, a border town. It bordered between three different regions. It bordered between Mysia, Phrygia, and I probably said that name wrong and it's okay, all right? And then the third one is uh, Lydia. And so it sat between all three of these areas and Eumenes desired for all of these different regions to be united underneath one common language and underneath a set of ideals. You've probably, if you've taken any sort of history, you've heard of Hellenism, right? This Greek idea that united all things together. And he was one of the ones that actually perpetrated this idea. He brought it together and said, I want for all of these people in all of this area to think and talk and believe the same sort of things. And so to his brother, he said, your mission is to love these people and to teach them and to train them and to bring them alongside of all of these things that we believe. And that was the mission of the city. Well, with all of that in mind, let's dive in and let's see what the letter holds. Starting in verse 7. It says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, the one who has the key of David, the one who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. He says, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews but really are not, and instead lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world, to try those who dwell on the earth. And I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have, so that no one would be able to seize your crown, no one who, or the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in my temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven with my own new name written on it. 
Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Wow, Jesus, what a letter that you've written. And I pray that as we begin to look at the things that you've said, that we would hear you talking to us and to our hearts about what's going on. Not a, just a letter that was written to some church almost 2,000 years ago, but God, a letter that is still alive and, and applies to us today. And we just continue to give you all of the, the glory and honor and let us be the ones who conquer and the ones who hear. In your name. Amen. So tonight, tonight at 10 p.m., a new world record will, will be set. A new world record. I can't even say the word. A new world record for the longest continuous ceremony to ever take place. This ceremony has taken place for 365 days straight. Over the course of over 900 years. Here's how the ceremony goes. At eight minutes before 10 p.m., the chief yeoman comes out. He wears the same uniform, not the exact same one. <laughs> he probably had to make a couple of them. But the same style of uniform that they've been wearing for the last 900 years. He has a lantern in one hand, and in the other hand, he has a set of keys. And as he walks out the door, four other guards come and begin to station themselves around him to protect him. And they begin to walk. And as they walk from point one to point two to check every single one of the gates and make sure that they are locked, there are sentries that have that are along the way. And every time that they come past one, the sentries stand at attention and they salute as they're passing by. After all of the gates are checked and all of them are locked, they turn and head back into the main tower. And as the chief yeoman approaches towards the tower, a sentry hollers out, HALT! Who comes there? And the chief yeoman responds back, The keys! And the sentry says, Whose keys? And currently the answer is, Queen Elizabeth's keys. And the sentry responds back, Queen Elizabeth's keys can pass. All's well. And the keys and the chief yeoman and the guards walk into the tower. And then, with the keys in hand, they all salute, and then the clock strikes ten. It's happened every night. No matter the weather, 
no matter what's going on, for the last 900 years at the Tower of London. You know, Jesus opens this letter to Philadelphia by identifying himself. He says, I am the Holy One, the True One. Now, Jesus said these things about himself in other places, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time or really much of any time talking about those two characteristics, but it doesn't mean that they're any less important. In fact, it's really those two characteristics that give him the ability to say the final thing about himself, and that is that he is the key holder. Now, to be honest, I really wanted to make a joke right here about being the key master. Right? But I was pretty sure that not everybody in the room would understand a 1984 Ghostbusters reference, right? But if you do, you're with me, all right? So Jesus says, he says, I'm the one who has the key of David, the one who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. You ever wonder what in the world it is that Jesus is saying? I do. I'm like, what? What is it that Jesus is trying to communicate here about who he is to these people? Well, just like some of the other letters, the, the answer lies in a whole other passage, a whole other scripture text that comes out of the Old Testament. And so the background for this entire statement that Jesus has just made comes from Isaiah 22. Now we actually looked at Isaiah last week and so uh, some of you that were here already know that Isaiah was written about 800 years before Jesus got here to this earth and it was a, a prophetic book. Je he was writing about things that hadn't happened yet that would be fulfilled. And so Isaiah writes this chapter, chapter 22, and he writes it to a very specific person. He writes it to a man named Shebna. Now, the only time that Isaiah wrote a prophecy or an oracle to a specific person is this one right here in chapter 22 to Shebna. Now, Shebna was, um, he was the man in charge of the royal household. Right? He was in charge of how everything happened. I don't mean in charge like a butler sort of in charge. I mean in charge like um, the chief of staff for the president. Right? Nothing happens with the president without the chief of staff knowing about it. In fact, the chief of staff is the one who like puts things on the agenda for everything that's going to happen. He makes sure things are going to happen for the president's day. And that's really what Shebna was was supposed to do. His job was to put things on the agenda. His job was to execute all of the affairs of the kingdom. And he was supposed to help to ensure that the will and the purpose of God was being done. It's a pretty big job. But instead of doing that, Shebna had used his position and his power for his own prosperity. He used his position to build up his own self, his own wealth, and to receive praise and glory from other people. You know, 
with that kind of description, I think we go, oh, Shibna could have been a great modern-day politician. Here's what God said to him through Isaiah. He said, I will thrust you from your office. Literally, I will take and throw you out, and you will be pulled down from your station. And in that day, I'm going to call my servant, Eliakim, who's the son of Hilkiah. And I'm going to give him the clothes that were yours. I'm going to clothe him with your robe. And I'm going to bind your sash on him, and I'm going to commit your authority to his hand. And he, he shall be the father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Check out verse 22. It says, and I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. So here it is, God told Shebna, because you are not being faithful, because you are not living the life of being set apart, that's what holy means, because you are not being true and truthful, I'm going to remove this from you. I'm going to remove from you the key that you have, and I'm going to give them to somebody else. And that's exactly what he did. And Elikiah took over. And Jesus reminds us that unlike Shebna, who was not faithful, who was not holy, who was not true, and had the keys removed from him, he says, I am holy. I have been set apart for this job. I am true. In fact, the word here, true, doesn't just mean that he was true at one point in time. It's this continuous action of I am always true. And I am truth. And because of that, he receives the keys. And nobody can take them away from him. In fact, it would be a little bit of an understatement. It'd be an understatement to say that Jesus was always about the kingdom of God and the affairs of the kingdom and the workings of the kingdom. In fact, check this out. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where you find the stories of Jesus' life and his teachings that are there, if you were to take all of his teachings, one out of every ten times that Jesus talks or teaches it's about the kingdom that's more than him talking about money that's more than him talking about hell that's more than him talking about love what do we typically think about jesus when he teaches oh jesus taught us how to love each other no jesus main theme his central idea the thing that he was all about was the kingdom of god kingdom of heaven. He was about the kingdom. And because of that, he's able to hold the key. And that key represents all of the authority of God. It's the right to open and to close doors. And the right to give access to the royal family. 
And it's almost as if Jesus, after he says this about himself, like a, a kid who um, at Christmas, or really my wife, she's standing in the back of the room, so I'm going to have to say the story right now. But at Christmas time, my wife cannot keep a secret for anything, right? She gets so excited about whatever gift it is that she's bought, and she has to tell about it as soon as she's bought it, right? Some of you are laughing because you're like, I know that person. Yeah. And Jesus kind of has that moment right here inside of this because as soon as he tells them, I am the one who holds the key, I open things, nobody can shut what I open, and I shut things, and nobody can shut what, what I, nobody can open what it is that I've shut. And so Jesus says, I know your works, and behold, he just jumps right on by. He's like, I know your works, but check this out. I've opened a door for you, right? This right here in front of you, and nobody can shut it. Like, he gets super excited about who he is and telling that to this group of people. I love that. You see, Jesus, he knows this church. And you're like, well, all he said was that he knows their deeds. How do we know that he really knows this church? Well, if you go on and read the letter, we find that he's telling them about things that are going on in their world that they're struggling with. He tells them, oh, you have little power, and it's okay. And here's, there's people that are persecuting you. They're really liars. But, hey, I want you to understand that... I know what's going on, but I'm so excited about this other thing that I'm just going to jump past it. And he says, I'm just going to tell you that I have opened a door in front of you. See, Jesus is excited because this church has not detoured. They've not detoured from the mission or the message. And Jesus opens up this door with excitement. And as a result, Jesus says to them, I, with my key and all of the authority, am opening up this door for you, and nobody else can shut this door. By the way, before we talk about the door, let me just give you a quick side note. This church of Philadelphia is the second time that we've come across a church who has no bad things said about them. They have nothing bad that is said about them. No condemnation is brought against them. No complaint is given on their behalf because Jesus is not unhappy with them. And I think there's a reason why, and that is because they were living as a church on mission and on message that Jesus had established. So, if the message of Jesus if the message of Jesus was mostly about the kingdom of God. So that's what they were living out. What is the mission? What is Jesus' mission? Well, in the book of Luke, Jesus tells us what his mission is. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says, he says, for the son of man, he's talking about himself here. He says, the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. You see, Jesus was pretty clear about what his mission was. His message was about the kingdom, and his mission was to invite everybody to come into the kingdom. In the book of John, Jesus tells it a little bit differently. He says in chapter 10, he says, I am the great shepherd. And he begins to describe 99 sheep 
that are inside of the pen or inside of the kingdom with him. And instead of rejoicing over the 99 that were with him, he's worried and concerned about the one lost sheep. And he leaves behind the 99, just like we sang in the song just a moment ago. He leaves behind the 99 in order to go out to find this lost lamb that could not make it into the kingdom on its own. And he seeks for it. He searches for it. And he rejoices over the moment when he finds that lost sheep and can bring it into the pen or the kingdom. Jesus says that's why he came. He came to seek and to save those that are lost, those that are living outside of the kingdom. steal a line from a really popular show that a lot of people have watched winter was coming winter was coming and I don't mean like the fact that we've all of a sudden transitioned up to like Colorado bring like have snow-capped mountains around us but winter was coming and Jesus wanted to get everybody inside but the problem is, is not everybody believes that winter is coming so not everybody believes or accepts the invitation to come inside and be safe. And the truth is, there's a moment, there's a moment when it's too late. And the door has to be shut and nobody can open the door. So here's the message. The message of Jesus was you're invited into the kingdom. And the mission was to seek and to save all of those that were outside of the kingdom. So what does that have to do with you and me? Right? What does that have to do with this church? Well, here's what I think. When Jesus opens up a door, not only is he excited about it, but there's an expectation about it. There's an expectation about it. You see, at the end of his time on earth, Jesus gathered together all of those that were following him, right? If this is after Jesus has died, this is after Jesus has come back to life, but it's before, before he's gone back to the Father. And he brings them all together. And we have this passage that's in the Bible that's called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. It's found in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And it says... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have, that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, real quickly. There's only two commands in that passage. There's only two commands in that passage. It's not go. It's not baptizing. It's not even teaching. The command is to make disciples. That means help people to become Jesus followers. And it is to remember. The word behold is to remember. 
Those are the two commands that are given inside of this passage. All of the other things are about how it is that we're supposed to make disciples as we are going, by baptizing them, by teaching them to observe everything, right? Those are the ways that we're supposed to do it, but it's all about the command to make disciples. And this was the invite, the moment where Jesus says, this is what I want you to continue. That was my mission. I wanted everybody, I was inviting everybody to come into the kingdom so they could continue this message. In other words, he says, here it is, co, co means a joint effort. It means something together, right? And so Jesus is inviting those who are following him to continue the same mission that he has been on. That's what a commission is. It's an invitation to join the same mission. And anybody, anybody who is a Jesus follower has been given this invitation. An invite to become co's or partners of a mission. And this church, the church of Philadelphia, they were given a special name. They have been called the Missionary Church because they were living on mission. They were all about the invite that had been given to them. And in their day-to-day -day lives, they were living this out. As they were going through their days, they were looking at it as, is this an opportunity for me to share the message of Jesus? Is this an opportunity for me to be a part of the mission of Jesus? They were praying about that. They were seeking that out. They were looking to live that as they were doing things. And they wanted to tell people the story about what Jesus had done for them. For them. They viewed everything as an opportunity. An opportunity for them to find those that were lost. But it was also an opportunity to meet other Jesus followers and encourage them. You know, the, the Gospels oftentimes record the same event and they'll have some different details that are there. And Acts um, is Luke part two, all right? So Luke's one of the guys who wrote um, one of the gospel accounts and then he wrote Acts. And in Acts 1-8, we see this same scene where Jesus is about to um, go back to the Father. And in this one, he says to them, he says, you are to be my witnesses. You are supposed to be the ones that I'm leaving behind to tell the story about what happened, about how I lived my life, about what I did, about how it changed your life. That's what he said. And he said, I want you to do it to the people that are in Jerusalem, the people that are in Judea, the people that are in Samaria, and then the people that are at the ends of the earth. Well, there's a lot of people who have made a lot of different applications off of that passage. But I think the thing that is inescapable for it and from it is, is that Jesus desired for them to start right where they were at and then to continue it moving away from us. 
See, I believe that this church, the Church of Philadelphia, was given an open door to continue to share about what Jesus had done and continue to do for them. I also think this. I think that any church that prioritizes the Great Commission in other words, joining in with Jesus to, to continue the mission that he started. I think Jesus can't hold himself back from wanting to open up the door for you. A door that nobody else can shut. But the expectation is, the expectation is that we'll walk through the open door. That will walk through the open door. Listen, we think that that is so important around here. This idea of, um, of going. Right? We say the church exists to lead people. To, we, we exist to lead people to be a great church. That's what we believe around here. And when we talk about the church, we say the church does three things. We say it gathers, in other words, it brings people together of all kinds of different groups and backgrounds. It doesn't matter, but it's designed to gather them together. It's about growing. In other words, that we don't stay the same. We're changed and we become transformed more to look like Jesus tomorrow than what we were today. That's part of what it means to be a part of a church. And finally, it's about going. When we talk about the word going, we say this. We say it's all about the end. It's all about the end. And the end stands for the mission. Right? It's all about the mission. And we exist to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave. No other reason. That's why we're here. It's why God called a group of people to start a new church here in Australia was because he had a mission and it was to let all people know that they're invited to be a part of his kingdom. That's the only reason that we exist. It's because of his mission. Maybe you're like me. And you've, you've wondered at times why it is that Jesus doesn't just like zap us out of here the moment that we like become a Jesus follower. The moment that we say, yes, Jesus, I'm in, I'm in the kingdom, he's like, poof, you're gone, right? Listen, it'd be so much better, right? So much better because then this whole argument about they're just all hypocrites, right? They don't do what they say that they're all about because the problem is, is that we still mess up, right? And so if we could just, like, if Jesus would just zap us out of here, then there would be no argument about those, those people who follow Jesus don't really look like Jesus. Well, or, you know, I mean, why? Why does he leave us behind? And the answer is because of the mission. He leaves us behind to join in the mission. To share with others about what it is that he's doing for us. He didn't say, I want you to go be perfect. He didn't instantly transform us into perfection. You know the other reason that I love that statement? Go is all about the end. 
Because if you look at that last word, it looks like it's all about them, right? Look, there's, there's two groups of people in the world always. There's us and there's them. And sometimes we exist as us's and sometimes we exist over in the them's. But there's always just two groups of people, us's and them's. And Jesus said, he said, look, I know what your nature as a human is. Your nature as a human is us. It's all about us. And Jesus said, that's not why I came. I didn't come for us. I came for them. And he said, I left behind the church, not for us. Catch that for a second. Church is not for us. Church exists for them. That's a big switch. We're real easy to think about churches for us. You know what I like? I like the music at that place. It really <laughs> speaks to me. Right? And then we go somewhere and we go, yeah, I don't really like, I don't like them. I don't like their music. I didn't like that pastor over there. He, he talked about too many other people things. It wasn't really my issues or stuff that were going on. And Jesus said, look, I'm willing to leave behind all of the 99 to get one of them. To get one. That's what the church is supposed to be about, right? That's the end, the mission, them, not us. I told you when we started, there was so much more I wanted to say on this letter. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm running low on time. I, I want you to know that I've been told what I should do next time is just tell you to bring a sack of lunch so we can just keep going a little bit longer, right? Roy said it's okay because he won't be here next week, so it, it's fine that I tell you that he's the one who said that. Um, so, but listen, I want to end with, with this because Jesus follows up telling them about this open door by telling them, he says, I know that you have little power. He says, I know that you have little power. And when we read that, we think of, oh man, that's a, like, like that's a, like a cheap shot, Jesus, right? What do you mean they don't have a whole lot of, of, of power? And it's really not. It's really not a knock against them at all. One of the commentators that I read this week put it like this. He said, um, unlike today, where we generate all of our own power, right? We generate all of our own power. He said, that's not what it was like. He said, power sources came from the outside, from other things. He said, this is like Jesus saying to a, a sailor that you've got to work to get into position, but you don't control the wind. There's little wind today. You may not be going really fast or very far, but you've done a great job of putting up your sail and gotten yourself ready. And it seems that this church in Philadelphia, their sails were up and ready to go. There just hadn't been a whole lot of wind yet. And Jesus says, I'm about to change that. You know, God opens doors in response to his people. 
We're going to see that in our next series over and over and over again. There's this cycle of when God's people pray and cry out to him that he responds. They were praying for the wind to blow. They were praying for the wind to blow. I think that's a great question for us. Is our sails up? Are our sails up? Are we praying for the wind to blow? Jesus is desperately seeking for churches that are like the church of Philadelphia. Churches that are all about the mission and the message that he started. And he wants to send his power there. He wants to send his Holy Spirit there. And even though they may have been a little power, he's a great power. And I love this. At the very end, Jesus says to the one who conquers, in other words, to the one who continues to live out on mission and on message for me, I will make you like a giant pillar inside of the church. Do you know who we celebrate as the church? Do you know who, even, we just want to go back as far as Roman Catholics who have made saints out of people that they pray to. Do you know who those people were? To a T, all of them were people who were living on mission and on message. They believed about sharing the gospel with other people to the point that many of them gave up their lives because they believed in it so much. And those people have become pillars. Jesus' promise is lived out every time that one of those people rises up and lives that away. And he begins to step on to those people. More than anything, I think the thing that I want us to hear today is that Jesus wants his church. Jesus wants our church right here, the group of people that are worshiping and growing and gathering right here and going from right here to be a great commission church, to be all about the mission and the message that he started. Father, I, I pray that we would be a church that is on mission for you. Not for you, with you. You've invited us into this together. It's not a job that we do for you. It's one we do because of you and together. God, I pray for open doors. God, I pray for my friends, I'm naming them in my, in my head right now, that I know don't have a relationship with you. And God, that I deeply desire for them to be in the kingdom one day. God, I pray for opportunities 
opportunities to share about the story about what you've done for them, what you've done for me, and how it's changed everything for me. God, I pray that even if we're a church of little power, of little name, of little renown, God, that your great power would be known here. That we would continue to work to put ourselves into position to be used by you. Instead of throwing the anchor in the water and saying, no, we don't want to move. And maybe that's you. You're sitting here today and you're like, no, he's talking about people that are in the kingdom and out of the kingdom. Maybe for the very first time you realized you're out of the kingdom. If you just shut the doors right now, you wouldn't be. Listen, Jesus didn't come and die on a cross so that just the 99 could get in. He came to seek out you. If you're here today, you got a chance to hear the message of how much he loves us. walk away from here going, it'll be okay, I'll give it a chance. Come back, back to the room and find me and say, that's what I want. I want to know that I'm in. I don't want to know that I'm out. Jesus, thank you for just this time of offering that we're about to have. May it just be used to bless you.